is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. October 2019, the Great American Beer Festival in the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. 60,000 attendees across four festival sessions, clutching commemorative tasting glasses with lists and maps to their most desired beers to try. 800 breweries pouring their best beer, one ounce at a time. A Scottish bagpipe troupe in full regalia marches around the hall, serenading the festivities. Colorful booths try to grab the attention of beer fans. I'm there to cover the event with some fellow journalists from PorchDrinking.com, and on the first night of the festival, we're hitting the most buzzworthy breweries before their rarest beers disappear. At one end of the cavernous exhibit hall is the booth for Orpheus Brewing out of Atlanta, Georgia. They've written the tap list for their available beers on a rack made of barrel staves, Fitting for a brewery best known for their complex and elegant barrel-aged imperial stouts, barley wines, and sour ales. We chase through them all, ooing and eyeing and trading glasses to sip each other's samples in that simpler pre-COVID time. One beer stands out above the rest, however. A dark everlasting, a 13.6% ABV imperial stout aged in various whiskey barrels for between 14 and 35 months and conditioned on vanilla beans and black coconut. What's black coconut? We ask the same thing and get an answer we're comfortable with, but it isn't until I talk with founder Jason Pellet at the end of 2020 that I really understand it. You'll hear more about that in a few minutes. A dark everlasting stays lodged in my sensory brain for months after the festival. I taste hundreds of beers across four days and take notes on every single one of them, but a handful don't really need them. I remember their flavors like remembering faces or songs. The combination of ingredient and process that brought a dark everlasting to my glass is a dance of art and science, as all great culinary experiences are. And as I lay the groundwork for what will end up being Bean to Barstool, the beer keeps coming back to my mind. Thematically, it doesn't make sense. No cacao was harmed in the making of this beer. But the comfort and provocation it works in my sensory memories hits the button I want to push with this podcast. Lucky for us, Jason and his team have recently begun experimenting in fascinating ways with cacao, and today we'll learn all about what Orpheus Brewing and Somerville Chocolate in Massachusetts are doing to rethink the creative processes that bring chocolate and beer together. Jason Pellet used to be a music teacher. He plays trumpet and used to give private lessons. Talking over Zoom in December, he carried more the impression of a garage rocker with a trucker hat and perhaps just a bit of a COVID mullet. He's laid back, and it's easy to understand why he found success as an educator, with a disarming ease and a nonchalant confidence that only comes from knowing you're good at what you do and not needing to strain to prove it. That's helpful with some of the more unusual projects Jason has undertaken at Orpheus, projects that require consumer education and have proven to be hard sells at times. In 2020, Orpheus released a beer called Artifice of Eternity, 
The beer is a Methode Traditionnelle beer, which is a designation for American beers brewed in the style of Belgian Lambic styles away from their geographical origin around Brussels. Lambics are inoculated with ambient microorganisms in the air of the brewery and the wood of the barrels they're aged in, and take on complex, sour, and funky flavor profiles. Because of the historical connection of these beers to the Brussels area, American producers of these beers shy away from using the style names Lambic or Goose when brewing these styles and have adopted the term Methode Traditionnelle in deference to the Brussels originals. Appropriately, no one knows how to pronounce it. Methode Traditionnelle? Method Traditional? Pick one and use it confidently. No one will question you. Artifice of Eternity is a blend of one, two, and three-year-old Method Traditionnelle sour beer aged on cacao fruit, pulp, and seeds. That, in itself, is a curious concept, since most people aren't used to the flavor of cacao pulp or even to thinking of cacao as a fruit, and think of beer with cacao as having the recognizable flavors of chocolate. After brewing Artifice, though, Jason took the cacao seeds and roasted, winnowed, and ground them into nibs, then split them into two batches. The first he made into his own chocolate at home, after a lot of trial and error. The second he returned to a second beer called Artifice of Eternity Inversion, an imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels. The sequential process of this evolving project, with one unexpected decision leading to another, perfectly encapsulates the atmosphere of creativity at Orpheus. I asked Jason what made him turn to cacao for this cycle of creation, and I love the opening line of his response. I mean, he doesn't like chocolate, but as far as actually doing something extensive with it, it was a somewhat drunk conversation at Strong Beer Fest a few years ago, and I was talking to somebody, and I think it was first maybe cascara came up, you know, the, the fruit of mm-hmm. the coffee, thinking about using, you know, the whole cocoa fruit. So we did that, like, without any thought of going further. So the first thought was just that, well, if I can source some cocoa fruit, that could be interesting in one of our spontaneous beers. Didn't quite know what to expect. I mean, like most people, I never had raw cocoa fruit, so got a bunch of it. It was the, the whole crew doing the processing for a few days, taking the, the fruit and the seeds out of the husk and um, put some uh, one, two, and three-year-old spontaneous beer on top of it and let it go. And that, that was the only thought I had for a little while. But then just started thinking, you know, fermentation is the first step in making chocolate. That was the only thing I knew about making chocolate. Suspected there was a fermentation. Verified that. I was like, well, we've already, we have the first step. We're about to take the beer off of it. We'll have this whole mass of the first step of the cocoa process. And so you can't just stop there. So this is more of an an inertial thing than uh, really at the beginning thinking about chocolate. So I was just like, okay, so what, what do we have to do to take this fermented cocoa mass and turn it into cocoa nibs? So we explored that. The fruit pulp. Fortunately, rinsed off the seeds easily, so just rinse those out. We have a, a proofing cabinet that we use to do kind of black process, like we do black coconuts, mm-hmm. and we also, not necessarily making stuff black, but we treat most of our barrel-aged stout adjuncts in the proofing cabinet for at least a few days, just it's the only way I really trust that they're pasteurized. So we just dried them out in there, and then I brought them home, and roasted, ground them, winnowed them, 
you know, that got to the point where, you know, most of the coconuts went into the other beer, Artifice of Eternity, the inversion, mm-hmm. and then just set some aside, figure out how to make chocolate, got a grinder that went for about 100 hours on that, and then took a few attempts at tempering. Um, even the one I sent you that seemed actually like it, it seemed good for a couple of days. It bloomed just a little bit. It bloomed a little bit. Yeah. So, but that was after I had some like double boiler attempts at tempering that were disasters. They were, they all looked way worse than the one that you got looked within like 12 hours. And this was like, this went two or three days still looking like it should. So I was like, okay, I got it. So I didn't quite get it. I think I know what I have to do to uh, go forward. A lot of things for me are really process thinking. And for this chocolate, it really was just process thinking instead of like I said, I didn't really go into this expecting to make chocolate at the end. How did you get your cacao? Where'd you source it from? Uh, Miami fruit. It's just miamifruit.com, but they have a, a, I mean, it, it was like, it was good looking cocoa. I mean, I've seen some at farmers where I actually just bought some at local farmers market just for a photo. And, you know, stuff I bought locally didn't look nearly as good. Well, you mentioned the crew processing the uh, cacao fruit. What exactly did that involve? Were you scooping out everything and putting it straight in the uh, the tank? Yeah. I don't know if listeners have seen a, a cocoa fruit, but mm-hmm. it's football-ish sized in shape. And there's kind of a inch or so, three quarters inch husk around it. Not hard like a coconut, so this could just be sliced through pretty easily. So just kind of slice it, the husk in half, leaving the inner fruit hole. Just pull it apart, scoop out the other half. And that went straight into uh, our fruiting. We use like plastic totes for fruiting our wild beer. So that went straight into there. We did put some of the husks in the proofing cabinet for a while, see what how that would do. It didn't do much. So yeah, it, it's just, uh, it was the assembly line like four people doing that what percentage uh cacao did your bars end up being it was like 72 percent cocoa so best case scenario you know if you hammer down the details of your process what do you want to do with this is there going to be orpheus chocolate at some point oh man i don't know it's it's very unique chocolate I think it i think it definitely works best in the context of the beers mm-hmm. and Man, I just don't have time for a. <laughs> I can't imagine start a going, business. going a whole lot further with this. Well, I thought it was interesting tasting it. You know, as a experienced beer drinker, I can definitely taste the sour beer fermentation and the influence of that on the chocolate. I mean, you've got some clear fermentation character from that. I think what happens is the the lactic acid from our like from being fermented with our spontaneous beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gets a lactic acid fermentation instead of a more normal chocolate um, acetobacter fermentation. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the lactic acid is less volatile. So in the conching process, which is normally going to be driving off volatiles like acetic acid, I think the lactic acid uh, persists in a way that the acetic doesn't. So you're left with an actual, a different, probably more pronounced acid character. That's my guess. It reminded me a little bit, and I know this isn't the base beer, but it reminded me a little bit of Flanders Red, where you've got that primary lactic and just a touch of like balsamic from that acetic mm. acid. Yeah, and the, and all the fruit character, I think also, 
kind of mm -hmm. gives a little bit more of that kind of Flemish red character. Is there is a I, I thought a surprising amount of the fruity fermentation character. Artifice of Eternity is only 4.5% alcohol, but it's a starburst of flavors, with bright notes of lychee, passion fruit, persimmon, and grape must over underlying bread dough and a touch of clove, with quiet funk and round, bright acidity. If you've actually tasted cacao pulp before, you'll recognize it here. It's tropical sunshine in a glass. And the chocolate Jason made from the cacao seeds that had conditioned in the beer is unlike any other I've tasted, with notes of strawberry balsamic, sweet Georgia peach, and cinnamon, and a bright acidity without the tannic dryness that can sometimes accompany that acidity in dark chocolates. Tempering is tricky, and the bar is bloomed and is a bit crumbly in texture. Jason's not a professional chocolate maker. But the flavor possibilities of making chocolate from cacao that has fermented inside spontaneously inoculated beer are clearly exciting. So how about the next step in the process? Some of the cacao from Artifice was roasted and transferred to a second beer called Inversion. Jason shares more about that process here. So the original was the, the pale method traditional beer, you know, which is the opposite of what people think from a chocolate beer. Mm -hmm. So figured for the cocoa news, it would actually give the people what they want. You know, it is much easier for us to sell stouts than spontaneous beers. <laughs> Finding a tie between our the spontaneous stuff and the big barrel-aged stouts in a way where when I was drinking these beers back and forth, it was like seamless. And I think there's just seeing that connection is something that I think is beautiful. You know, and also I just thought it made sense. So we, we took most of the cocoa nibs, which means this was almost 20 kilos um, into a single bourbon barrel that had held stout for two years, a little over two years, and uh, which is aggressively high dosing rate. I feel like almost 10 times as much as what we had done on a previous cocoa nib barrel-aged stout. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it's generally two or three pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this was 20 plus pounds in a bourbon barrel. So I'm going to let that sit for, I don't remember, a few weeks. So this, this was, I mean, our base stouts, we actually use a, a Belgian yeast for minute cold. So we, we develop, we don't really get like the spicy esters that you'd think from a Belgian stout, but we do develop a little bit of like underlying dark fruit character. So this does have that, which that's not all from the cocoa, but then just a whole lot of that chocolate. And um, so you do get, I think, more pure chocolate in the stout itself than in the chocolate bar somehow. Hmm. Um, but also, but you still get some of that, that fermentation character, the citrus and stone fruit that's in our fermentation. I get a little bit of that just in the very back of the stout. And is there anything else, any other adjuncts in that or just the cocoa? Just the cocoa. You mentioned you brewed with uh, cocoa before. What are some other beers you've done before you embarked on this larger project? Um, so we've done just a, a single barrel, barrel-aged stout before. Stouts all the way down, volume 14. We brewed it for a, kind of a, a little launch into the Netherlands. Um, it wasn't really Dutch cocoa, but figured we'd, we'd give the Dutch some chocolate. We've done some, I haven't used it a whole lot in barrel-aged beers at this point. Uh, we have, we actually have in the tank right now a, a cocoa nib beer, kind of a, a collab with a local donut place. We didn't use any donuts in the beer. We just, they had a blackout chocolate cake. 
donut. So we made a blackout chocolate cake stout. And so that that's our first time actually uh, trying uh, chalaca. So we're using a combination of the, the liquid cocoa nibs plus real cocoa nibs. We find some stuff like this is hard to scale up to full production. I mean, we've done cocoa nibs in 60 barrel tanks before, but it just ends up being sometimes a huge mess. If we can't get it spread evenly without some hard to deal with sludge in the beer and just trying to get that distributed throughout and end up with a bit of sludge in there that's hard to deal with. So so we thought this time we would try to do a, a blend because I think the cocoa nibs, I don't want to make Chalaka mad, but the, the cocoa nibs that we use are better. So you're not like bagging them or anything. You're just dumping it straight in. We've done both, but I mean, bags can be like, basically have to be able to circulate a little bit. So we'll set up filters and slowly pump a recirculation, but that, that can still cause problems. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. The Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my Level 2 exam many years ago. I wish the Level 3 had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. As a side note, Chilaka is a liquid cacao product made specifically for brewers and other beverage makers, and a growing number of brewers are using it. The sourcing seems to be above board, and while the product is a bit homogenous, it offers a solid, straightforward, chocolatey flavor for beers where that's desirable. Inversion has more going on beneath the surface than that. The beer is big at 13% ABV and pours dark as night into the glass, staining the sides when swirled. Notes of chocolate-covered cherry and walnut, bourbon and dark chocolate lift from the glass, and flavors of molasses, walnut, acai berry, and strawberry, and fruity dark chocolate coast on a thick, viscous body with noticeable strength. It's deep and a bit mysterious. The flavors are familiar but hint at hidden worlds beneath the surface. A strong stout with cacao is a recognizable concept, but here that cacao has lived a full life before entering the story and it has tales to tell on its own. In Massachusetts, Eric Parks is looking from the other side of the glass, making chocolate that is intimately familiar with the brewing process. 
Somerville Chocolate is located inside Aeronaut Brewing, and as you'll hear from Eric, the collaborative possibilities of making chocolate 20 feet from the brew house has opened up a Pandora's box of creative possibility. Eric spoke to me in the fall from Aeronaut, and you can hear the sounds of a living brewery behind him as we talk about his beer-inspired chocolates. I, let's see, to go back a ways, I started Somerville Chocolate in, I think, 2012, and the first couple of years I operated out of my house, I had a licensed residential kitchen, and um, at some point, I'm also an architect, I have another, a dual career thing, I was here with a friend doing some permit drawings for some startups at this space, it's the food sub, so the Aeronaut Brewing Company had this interesting concept where they leased out this big chunk of space, part of it they were using for the brewing, and the other half was supposed to be a food sub where they have a lot of collaborative food makers kind of grouped around a common area that would become an area where people could, the tap room could spill out into that area and move back and forth and have this collaborative food beer kind of experience. And um, one of the owners of Aeronaut discovered I was not just an architect, but also had this chocolate making thing. And, and I got totally sold on building out a little production space within the brewery. That's how I came to be here, and that was, I think, 2014. Um, so I then went from you know, working on my house to this little 400-square-foot production space. Being in a brewery, um, kind of an unusual setting for a chocolate maker. Tell me a little bit about just sort of the creative atmosphere of being there with the brewery and how maybe that feeds into some of what you do. That, to me, is one of the most fun parts of this the collaborations with things and being in the brewery I'm basically on the flight path between the bathrooms and the brewery so there's constant contact and and uh, the brewers are running around and it just constantly I, I learned a lot about beer making I didn't know much about it I just had a casual interest so it's constantly like a what what's that really nice smell like the hops infusions that's an early one where when they would release the, the mash you know from the, the boiling process there I would occasionally get this, this beautiful smells of, you know, the hops, the pineapple, the citrus, and these cool things. And I, I was vaguely aware that was a beer smell, but I'm so used to attaching that to bitterness. And it's like, what is that aroma that I'm getting? Just the pure, mm-hmm. they say, that's this. And so they'd bring ingredients by saying, hey, try this. This is a uh, galaxy hops. And, and I, I was kind of drinking with ways to infuse stuff. And they go back and forth, tried things with the malt powders and the barley grain and things. Some things don't work out at all. Other things are great. And then, um, of course, going in the reverse direction, they've started making some beers that have my stuff and then primarily cacao nibs. That's kind of like the thing. But they've done a variety of ways of getting that into the works. And being here with them, it's fun because it can be like a very real-time back and forth. It's not like I'm dropping off a pile of nibs to a brewery 30 miles away. I can walk over there and they show me this is how it's going in this step. And I can have suggestions like, you know what, I think you might need to put that in a different kind of bag so it infuses better or whatever. So I think there's a production-wise a, a benefit to being to sharing space like that too, not just in the idea spotter, but in the, in the production angle. It's not too uncommon to see chocolate makers using beer in some way, but I don't know that I've seen another that's using hops. Tell me a little bit about your hops bar the, how the idea for that came about, what hops you're using, all that kind of stuff. The um, hops bar was the result of getting the, these beautiful aromas that came from the mash that came out of the beer. And 
one point I stopped Mark, who's one of the brewery guys, and said, hey, what, what's with that? And he said, it's the hops. And he gave me a, a um, bag. I forgot which kind it was at first. And I tinkered with soaking it in cocoa butter and other kinds of grinding it up. And, and some of them were failures, but I kept thinking, I've got to get that flavor in here. And we've um, tried a bunch of other hops with that, but that has been an ongoing obsession, like getting the perfect hop aroma and kind of matching them to things. And if Mosaic and Galaxy and Citra, and I think I've tried um, uh, like in the fourth one, they all have different, very different characters. In the, um, some of them don't infuse very well, some of them do it really strongly. The Galaxy does okay, but the Mosaic seems to have, I have the most luck with Mosaic. Hmm. And, um, that's how it, that began, and just a lot of tinkering with how to get that in the chocolate. Those are all, the ones you mentioned there are all very tropical leaning in their aromas. Have you found that that tends to be best when using hops? I think so. I tried a couple that were in the other direction, which is one of the ones I can't remember the name of. And I think what they do is they come off as being a bit earthier in the in the final product and it's there, but it, it wasn't really doing what I wanted it to do. I, I like that fruity, it, it, like it's a tropical, I, I kept getting um, pineapple and um, citrus for the two that come through that, that I happen to dislike a lot. Citra did a good job too, as I recall, but it, was, it took more oomph to get it in there. Let's take a moment to talk about hops. Hops are a type of flower that grows on a vertical bind, and they're the primary seasoning agent in beer. They provide both bitterness and flavor and aroma, and there are over a hundred commercial strains that exhibit different sensory characteristics in the finished beer, much the way different cacao varieties and origins do. Additionally, they are heavily influenced by terroir, so the same hop variety grown in different places might have very different characteristics. Cascade hops grown in Washington State, for example, are characterized by grapefruit and pine aromas, whereas cascades grown here in Ohio, where I live, often have a more melon and tropical fruit character. Those fruity notes make sense with many cacao varieties. Somerville's Hops Dark Milk Bar offers a sweet citrus up front, like an orange creamsicle, with hints of coconut and pecan. Slowly, the subtle bitterness of the hops comes forward like green tea. For any fan of hoppy beer, this is a fascinating display of hop character outside its expected medium. Sarah Ratza at Ratza Chocolate in Tarpon Springs, Florida also makes a bar with hops, and we'll hear more from her in the next episode. I asked Eric how he goes about infusing hop character into this bar, and it turns out he's experimented with a few different techniques. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Final Gravity Issue 4 is now available in the Bean to Barstool shop. This fourth issue of our zine telling intimate, human-centered stories from the world of beer is full of great articles, including Kate Power of Lady Justice Brewing talking about why she might be done with beer festivals, Ukrainian beer writer Lana Svetinkova writing about the Zeugel brewing tradition in Germany, UK writer Matthew Curtis talking about the blend of old and new in the Cascale tradition in Manchester, and many more. We believe passionately in this project, and if you believe the story of beer is ultimately a story about people and relationships, we think you'll love Final Gravity as well. 
You can order the new issue from our shop on beantobarstool.com, or you can also subscribe, including subscribing for your brewery tap room or break room, or you can subscribe and sign up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash beantobarstoolzines. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, it's soaking in the, it's in the cocoa butter, but it takes a lot of straining to get any possible solids out. And then you can kind of add things to help mitigate the, the um, bitterness, the wood chips and ash and things like that to kind of soak it up. That seems to work the best so far. Sometimes you can do some post tweaking by, by air infusing too. That also can help, but there are pros and cons to both of those. It's sort of like a, a tedious process and it adds about a, two weeks to it to make it. Do you have other hops that you want to try or is it just kind of as you have the opportunity as they bring ones over to you? Uh, I honestly don't know. I haven't really picked their brains lately to try something wildly different. Um, I'm as something that you would like to see try on that if you obviously know your hops. I mean, from what you're saying with those tropical hops, it sounds like you're leaning largely Australia, New Zealand, and kind of the new wave of Pacific Northwest hops, you know, the older style, not older style, but but hops that have been around a longer here in the U.S., like Centennial and Cascade and things like that tend to be citrus, piney, um, not quite that like juicy tropical flavor like you're talking about. So it's mostly the newer hops that are getting used in like the hazy style, New England style IPAs that that you're listing there. So it sounds like it's, it's kind of in that world that you're drawing from. From tasting those hops in the bars, have you had the opportunity to taste a beer that has those same hops and see how closely those hop flavors correlate or does it change quite a bit when it goes into the chocolate? I now notice it. The thing is that the, the way these ingredients manifest in chocolate and in beer Sometimes it's very different, and I can sort of address that with one of the other. You might be asking about the beer bar later, but with the hops, because the bitterness isn't there, I do pick up it, but it's much less forceful in the beer to me because there's so much else going on there. No one would argue that that's the same case with the chocolate, but all I could say is, yeah, I do see a correlation, but it's not as blatant to me as I would have thought. Sure. You mentioned bitterness. Typically in beer, to extract that bitterness from the hops, they've got to be boiled to isomerize those alpha acids. You're not obviously doing that. The bitterness you were getting, was that, do you have any way of knowing if that's alpha acid derived or if that's coming from just like tannins from the plant material? I don't. Yeah, that's not my, I haven't really taken that. I just found it by, obviously, I have to regulate the temperature, which you're, I'm sure it is 140 something my notes when I put it in the cocoa butter you melt it out in my um, pressure you know, pot I'm talking about they can regulate the temperature in the thing and I try to keep it within a certain range and they've explained if you get too hot then you get different stuff coming out and mm-hmm. obviously it's not getting boiled so it's all purely an oil extraction there no secondary way to do that another way to do this sort of thing is to actually saturate the nibs in um, a liquid that has it in there Mm. so this is a digression but i've tried various types of beer bar infusions and if you take a finished beer that's already been extracted to get some of the bitterness out and you saturate the nibs and then you dry them 
and refine them. That's another way to get that kind of flavor. But then you're also getting beer ingredients. Now I haven't tried. I suppose I could have them do a, a mash of just hops and take it to their their process and give me just hops water that's had that done to it and try. That's something I haven't actually tried yet. Yeah, like a hop yet. tea, basically. Yeah, basically that's already had that extraction with tannins and things like that. Sure. Well, you mentioned the the beer bar. Let's talk about that. Um, tell me a little bit about how that process is different from what you just described with using the hops. Yeah. So a few years running now, they've more so in the winter, we'll make a fairly dark beer with nibs, and they've tried a few ways of doing it, where they put it either in the mash up front or in the, the fermentation tank, or both, as the last batch was. And the beer bar is I've tried it two different ways. The one that I think I sent you was actually the the latest, the best. I think it, to me it's the most interesting where the nibs that they, so they first put the X number of pounds in the mesh, dump that out, put it in the fermentation tank, and I gave them whatever, 40 pounds of um, nibs that they put in um, the tank and they kept them separate in bags for me so they could actually give them back to me when they're done. So at some point, two, three weeks later, I got these big, frothy, yeasty bags of, of my nibs, and I had to kind of pulverize them more to get the infusion a little better because it, nibs are not so much like coffee. It's harder for a liquid to, to really extract because there's so much fat in them. It's 50% fat, roughly. So I get these bags of nibs. I then dry them out in my oven in a low temperature so as to not re-roast them any more than they've already been roasted. These are all using pre-roasted nibs, by the way. I don't give them raw ingredients. Dry that out and then make a chocolate with it. And that has been really interesting. You know, it's a little bit polarizing because not everybody cares for that in their beer, but in this environment, everybody loves it. So the second way I've tried making um, a beer bar, which is also good, but a very different direction, is to pour, to, set, to soak finished beer in nibs for two or three days and then dry them out and do the same thing. And the flavors there are perhaps a little bit more refined, but you don't get quite so much of that yeasty bread molasses, like just of the one that I described earlier. Do you have a preference between those just personally from the, the flavor standpoint? I think that the one with it was made with finished beer was maybe a little more accessible because it's not so brash and untamed. And the first one where I used nibs that were fermented with the beer, I think it's like a whole meal. It's like a ride of flavors. It starts off with one thing, you get different notes coming and going, and some of them are chocolate, some of them are maybe not blatant beer, but just um, Guinness beef stew kind of flavor or unleavened bread or just like all that. So I kind of like the wild ride of, of the flavor spectrum there more. That's but if I were looking for something just to chomp down on, I would probably go for the beer, the one that's got the finished beer because it's just more, a little more candy bar. Which Aeronaut beer was it that you did that with? They call it Cocoa Sutra. And it's a... Um, that's the milk stout, I believe. I've had this desire to kind of deconstruct the idea of chocolate and beer. And I've had some beer, chocolate, chocolate beers that I can't remember the names of that are just way too sweet, cloyingly. It's almost like there's Hershey syrup in there. And it turns out they put cocoa powder and stuff like that. And I wonder, do we really need to, to connect chocolate to dark porters and stouts and things? Like, is that really just cliche or does it have to be that way? 
and um, we tried a beer with Aeronaut last fall that it was a white stout, I think, and it was it was something even lighter. I can't remember exactly what it was. And they loaded it to death with nibs. We just said, like, what do you usually use? I'm going to give you five times more. And in both steps of the process. And it was really interesting because it did not make it necessarily ch more chocolatey. It was, it made it much more, I think they use the word vegetal, which I agree with. It was like, these maybe a little bitter, but the direction it took it and proved to me that maybe there is a point which you can have too much in the beer. Maybe to back it up a little bit. Um, it also, that was one that really benefited from aging some, like, like they, they pulled out some out of the keg a couple months later and it was much more sublime. So that was kind of an interesting tweak that I think we could look at trying again, like other non-cliche beers. The white stout Eric is talking about is an interesting concept that highlights the harmony between roasted cacao and dark roasted malts in beer. As we discussed in episode 13 about coffee, cacao, dark brewing malt, and coffee beans are all roasted, and they take on complementary flavors from the roasting process. Stouts are dark beers that get a lot of their character from those roasted malts, but in recent years, brewers have been experimenting with so-called white, golden, or blonde stouts. These beers are fairly pale and contain no roasted malt, but instead get the chocolate or coffee flavors common in stouts from chocolate or coffee. These experiments have achieved mixed results and are perhaps most useful in highlighting the way these roasted ingredients are similar and different. Somerville's Beer Dark Chocolate Bar, made with nibs that soaked in Aeronaut's fermenting Cocosutra Milk Stout, is a 65% bar that actually showcases more hop character than the hop's dark milk in one specific way. The hop bitterness, which here is a sort of tea-like green bitterness, is higher than in the bar made directly with hops. Milk Stout is not a very notably hoppy beer, so why would this be the case? Well, it comes down to brewing chemistry. Alpha acids are the bittering agent in hops. In their natural state, alpha acids aren't bitter enough or water-soluble enough to be much use in brewing. But when they're boiled, those alpha acids isomerize into iso-alpha acids. Isomerization is the process of a chemical compound physically reconfiguring without gaining or losing molecular components. Isomerized alpha acids in hops are about four times as perceptibly bitter and about ten times as water-soluble as they are in their natural state. Brewers add bittering hops early in the boiling process to get the best yield of this bittering agent, and add aroma hops toward the end or after the boil to pull out their fragrant essential oils. Even though hop flavor and aroma is highlighted in the hops bar, the Dominican cacao nibs for the beer bar spent time in fermenting beer that had more isomerized hop alpha acids in it, and so the tea-like bitterness is slightly higher, though still beautifully incorporated into the bar. So many beer-infused chocolate bars have only a subtle, complementary influence from the beer that was used. This one tastes unmistakably of the beautiful natural ingredients that give us beer. As Orpheus demonstrated with Artifice of Eternity, not all chocolate-infused beers need to be porters or stouts. As Eric and I continued our conversation, he highlighted how crossovers in fermentation could point the way toward fascinating future collaborations. They're, they have um, a laboratory here where they do all the testing of the yeasts and they grow them and things like that. And um, Randy there did this mission where I gave him about 13 different cacao types because we really wanted to be able produce a beer using yeast that had been used to produce the chocolate. So basically 
chocolate fermentation yeast in the brewing process. Mm -hmm. And I was really curious if any of those could actually brew yeast. That was a total failure. We got nothing. They, I mean, I thought that there'd surely be stuff on there. I had a hard time getting it off of the beans. We tried all over the country, all over the world. I mean, um, and he finally got one that kind of brewed, but it just died off. It just didn't, it didn't want to do what beer needed it to do. But there is a guy, um, Marañón, they, they grow um, cacao and um, shoot, it's Peru. And they were selling supposedly a brewer's yeast that was, or yeast that was from their fermentation. I don't know how that ever turned out if they tried that. Yeah, I'd be very interested to hear. There'd have to be, yeah, like you're saying, there'd have to be something. If you went far enough back in the process, you'd have to be able to get something viable. Yeah, I had to learn a bit about microbiology from that. I guess the yeast, the problem is a lot of them just close down when they get to the certain sugar content. They just don't want to go any further and they just form spores or whatever they do and just say, okay, we're done. So it's a very special kind of yeast that's willing to go through level of the alcohol and sugar and all that. But it's fascinating and that's kind of a world that I need to explore more is the, the nuts and bolts of the fermentation exactly what's how much of it is bacterial how much of it is yeast and, um, as you've probably been told by millions of chocolate makers post harvesting process is a huge huge factor in the flavor it's not just that they dry it it gets fermented and how long they ferment it the temperatures they how often they turn it do they add things to it that can wildly vary the flavor can ruin a good cacao and it can make a bad cacao half decent. The yeast Eric is talking about is from White Labs, one of the major providers of isolated brewing cultures for brewers. The strain is called WLP 546 Marignan Canyon Wild Cacao, and it's a strain of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, the species of yeast used for fermenting ale styles. It was isolated from the Pure Nacional cacao variety growing wild in the Marignan River Canyon of Peru, which was thought to be extinct until its rediscovery in 2007 and resulting cultivation. Excellent chocolate bars made with this cacao can be found for many makers now, including Ritual and Fruition. The folks at Off Color Brewing in Chicago are always experimenting with unique fermentations, ingredients, and barrel aging regimens, and brewed a beer called Marignan Predator in 2020 with this strain of yeast. While the beer is light and sprightly at 4.7%, the flavor is wild and complex, with notes of rising bread dough, pineapple, passion fruit, lychee, clove, and even a touch of chanterelle mushroom. Wild is a word that gets overused and misused in brewing, but here this really does have a feral perception, with interactions of fruit and musty earthiness that are truly unique. On the chocolate side of things, brewing yeast can be used in cacao fermentation as well. While cacao is normally fermented spontaneously with cultures resident to the cacao in the surrounding environment, specific cultures can be added to manipulate that fermentation. In 2019, Patricia Baker, who runs the excellent My Year in Chocolate Instagram account and eatingthechocolatealphabet.com, sent me samples of three bars from Parliament Chocolate in Redlands, California. All three were identical 70% bars made with cacao from Zerzal Dominican Republic, but each had undergone a unique fermentation. One was fermented naturally, like most cacao, one at higher temperatures with added sucrose sugar, and one with a Belgian ale yeast strain from nearby Ritual Brewing Company. 
It was eye-opening to taste these side by side and see how much fermentation changed the flavor, texture, and even color of the bars. Belgian ale yeast is notable for having a very expressive fermentation character, often producing fruity esters and spicy phenols in beer. Those were warped and translated in this bar, with some flavors of banana or zucchini bread and with some earthiness and oakiness. I've talked with Eric and some brewers about the possibility of allowing a spontaneous cacao fermentation to start, then transferring that wet cacao to unfermented beer wort to see what the resulting fermentation would be like. Eric feels this would be an experiment best conducted at origin on a tree-to-bar cacao farm. If any brewer wants to take this on, let me know, because I'd love to be involved. If you want to hear more from Eric at Somerville, you can listen to episode 5 about smoke flavors, or the quick bonus episode I released last week about smoked chocolate, as wood smoke is another flavor component he's playing with in some of his bars. As Orpheus and Somerville both demonstrate, there are more avenues to combining chocolate and beer than just adding cacao nibs to a stout. Keep adding cacao nibs to stouts. Those beers are delicious. But also think creatively about how cacao fruit, beer ingredients, fermentation, or other pieces of these worlds might be used to draw new connections between our two favorite indulgences here at Bean to Barstool. And be sure to let us know when you do. You can learn more about my guests today, Eric and Jason, in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Being the Barstool. Mm-hmm.